right. Here we go. Quiet. And the Oscar goes to... You like me right now. You like me. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Fascinating to think that probably the only laugh that man will ever get in his life is by stripping off and showing his shortcomings. And the Oscar goes to... Jack Palance, City Slip. It's a clean sweep. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King... Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put it all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone for me is Film Buff Online contributing editor, Natasha Bogutsky. And seated across the microphone for me is Film Buff Online editor, Gene Richtree. I'm trying to get goofy because you were so damn serious. Was I now? You're like a 90s trailer uh, announcer. Do you want to do that again? No. Okay. So how are you doing today, Natasha? <laughs> <laughs> it's the second most wonderful time of the year for you, uh-huh. right? <laughs> it's the start of it. Yes. yes Actually, indeed. it started a couple weeks back with the Golden Globes, and now we are nearing the home stretch. The home stretch of six weeks. <laughs> yeah, I know. The We have uh, SAG Awards, the Independent Film Awards, and of course... The granddaddy of all daddies in the movie industry. The Academy Awards. Uh-huh. And those anom- uh, nominations were just announced as we are recording this a bare, just a little under 10 hours ago. <laughs> but as I'm sure I will have this finished overnight and posted tomorrow morning on Tuesday, they'll be 24 hours uh, old. You'll have seen who has been nominated. Uh, and we're going to give a little bit of uh, feedback on some of the things that have um Transpired. Transpired. I think that's the word yeah. you were looking for. Transpired. <laughs> um, so I don't think we want to go strictly category by category. So let me uh, just say, what was the biggest thing that made you happy about the nominations this year? Um, it's probably a mixture between the Academy Award nomination for uh, Stephen Yoon, mm-hmm. for Minari, Um First Asian American um, to be nominated in mm-hmm. the Best Actor category. Very, very happy for him. I loved him on uh, The Walking Dead for the short time that I actually did watch <laughs> it. He was one of the best parts about it for me. Okay. Um, of course, nominations for Leslie Odom Jr. Two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go Aaron Burr, sir. <laughs> um, Neither of them for Hamilton, but I know. Hamilton wasn't as. Uh, I wrote about and posted today. Break Hamilton heart, was not uh, eligible. I know. Was not deemed eligible, actually, for um, for awards consideration this year by the Academy, basically because they said so. There's no actual hard and fast rule about Hamilton. They just were kind of like, yeah, we're just not going to make it eligible. And that was it. And, and you can read the fuller thing yeah. online, of course, at Film Buff Online. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> he had to rub it in. <laughs> Sorry. Um, one of the, the things that I was very happy about uh, was love for a movie called Another Round with Mads Mikkelsen. The Danish film. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sorry. But you said Danish film, and I immediately thought of 
Eddie Redmayne for a second. I, I am in a weird headspace today, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Rough, rough day so, at the day job. Uh, okay. Just a rough day, period. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's that. And of course, I have been praising the performance of Sasha Baron Cohen as Abby Hoffman in the trial of the Chicago Seven. And I am so happy to see his nomination for that role because it was well-deserved. A lot of great actors in uh, Best Supporting Actor. First time we've had three African-American actors mm-hmm. uh, nominated in the category, which is great. And I, I Trial of the Chicago 7 had was one of the ones that got six nominations. Yes. Uh, Mank, of course, led the, the, the pack charge. with ten. And then we had six for six, uh, six films with six nominations each, mm. which makes battling for second place a really interesting horse race <laughs> if you look at the Oscars that way, and I kind of do. Um, Wait, you, you you look at it as who's going to get second place? Well, no, overall what the... <laughs> the stats are? Yeah, the stats are and who is positioned well coming into these things for certain things. Well, here's a good question for okay. you because I'm never good at predicting how it all yeah. plays out, but Yeah. You you love to enjoy it, but you cannot pick the winners for crap despite hey. the fact that you watch almost all of the nominations. Why is that? I don't know. There are people who love baseball, know baseball stats, and couldn't hit a baseball with a bat for the, to save their lives. You but, like to pick based off of who you wish would win, don't you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> that's why you never get them. That's I know, because I I wind up rooting for underdogs or weird picks or you know just like that. That's an unusual pick. I'd like that one, that guy to win, and it's always something safer or something like that. So, um, I'm finding it interesting though. That this year we have two films that kind of uh, intersect a little bit in terms of the Venn diagram of their characters. We've got The Trial of the Chicago Seven mm-hmm. and Judas and the, the Black, Black Messiah. Messiah. Yeah. And we have Fred Hampton there kind of being the link between the two films, which I find really interesting because they take different paths into their stories and. They both are very illuminating about what was going on in the counterculture of the late 60s uh, revolution movements. So I think uh, they're both really great films, and it's just kind of interesting that there's that overlap there. If you want to be technical, you're looking at even a little bit more of an overlap, even though this movie um, scored three nominations. It was snubbed in Best Picture, but One Night in Miami. Mm-hmm. As... We are talking about uh, the Nation of Islam in there and Malcolm X and mm-hmm. kind of how all of that plays into what Judas and the Black Messiah talk about. Yeah, there, there was definitely something in the air about two years ago when all these projects were uh, being greenlit. And I wonder if it's because of their themes of revolution, of fighting back against the establishment, if that had something to do what politically was going on even just starting two years ago with black lives matter things like that rising up then becoming a uh, bigger movement all last summer and everything all three of those movies definitely speak to that moment there's even another one on here which one i'm sorry i'm forgetting ma rainey's black bottom ma rainey's black bottom yes and also shares similar themes even though the film takes place 
about 40 years prior to mm -hmm. uh, the other three that we have mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, also, scored five nominations and did not receive one for Best Picture. What was the biggest surprise, like your biggest <laughs> snub this year that you thought? I knew you were going to ask me that, so I'm jokingly responding with the answer, the absolute shutout of Palm Springs. Of okay. course. But like I said, that's I my not joke answer. I did not expect that, actually. Um, and I should have. You should have expected that from me. I'm not sure what I'm feeling was a really big snub. No, I've got mine. I was a little surprised that Sorkin w didn't get a Best Director nomination. But then again, we're looking at eight Best Picture nominees this year based on that preferential ballot tree, uh, that they do. And then only five Best Director slots. So, of course, three people are going to be left out. I was a little surprised that Sorkin was. But at the same time, you know, his, his strengths still lie as a writer and not as a director. Even though I thought that this was a much better directed movie than Molly's Game was from a couple of years ago. Okay. All right. Well, I've got mine. Okay, what? The shutout, the complete shutout of the Mauritanian. Okay, that's a that's a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. Um, yeah, strong film. Uh, again, speaking to some uh, very political themes I, in a very I, political year here for the Academy, it seems. Well, the thing is, is I think uh, they're looking at some political films that are a lot further in our past, <laughs> unlike <laughs> the Mauritanian, uh, which is right there in the post 9-11, you know, it really still kind of feeds into a fear of uh, foreign terrorism and such that we are still afraid of because we remember. That remove of like one or two, three generations mm -hmm. that we get with Judas and the Black Messiah and all the way back to Marini's Black Bottom. They're so allows far us in the to, past. Allows those be, to become almost metaphorical for us. Yeah. Instead of Literal. really hitting us in the face with it. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good observation. I like and, that. And um, I noticed that last year as well when we were talking. Uh, I mean, I didn't think it was the greatest movie in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but the report had some strong performances that I felt oh, yeah. got shut out of the Academy Awards. And after the Golden Globes, with Jodie Foster winning Supporting Actress, or, or was it Best Supporting Actress, in a drama for it to be completely shut out, even just from the nominations. I mean, she didn't have to win, but to be shut out from the nominations after her win. It felt a little strange. Yes, a few years ago, Taron Edgerton did not receive a nomination at the Academy Awards for Rocketman, to be honest. His performance wasn't that great. Um, it was good. It wasn't mind-blowing. But Jodie Foster doesn't deliver a bad performance. No. Ever. Uh -uh. And so I thought that was very strange. The Golden Globes and the Academy Awards, from what I have seen in recent years, they overlap in usually the big six categories, the actor, director, and picture. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you were to put Jodie Foster into Best Supporting Actress, mm -hmm. you have to remove one of the five nominees. And let me just reread those nominees again. They are Maria Bakalova from Borat, mm -hmm. subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman for The Father, 
Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Yu Jung Yan for Minari. Who are you taking out? Well, I've okay. only seen one performance so far in this category. Okay. And I wasn't blown away by her. Remove Amanda. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's an interesting choice. And I probably would agree with you there. I, I, having I seen wasn't... more of those performances, with the exception of actually uh, Olivia Coleman's. To be honest, if and... I was going to stick anyone's performance in actress's supporting role for Mink, I would have given it to Lily Collins. Okay, that seems fair. Yeah, um, I just was not impressed yeah. with Amanda in this film. Well, my favorite thing about the Best Supporting Actress category, though, mm-hmm. it's a rematch between Olivia Coleman and Glenn Close again. Oh, boy. <laughs> because of the wife a couple years ago the and the favorite. And the favorite, yep, from two years ago, two or three years ago. At for this point, I want to see those lead. two in a film together. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I... I, I sort of out of this, though, I sort of want Olivia Coleman to win because you know she will be hilariously embarrassed about beating Glenn Close for a second time. And that's all her speech is going to be is just, oh, my God, I'm so sorry about this. It, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I love about her, honestly. <laughs> Glenn Close, from everything I've heard about Hillbilly Elegy, it is a mediocre film with one good performance, and that is from Glenn Close. Yeah, that's pretty much what I've heard, too. Um, which is why I can't even bring myself. I, I've seen parts of it, and I am just like, oof. Like, <laughs> I don't want to re-sit through Judy. If if that's the Judy of last year, I really oof. don't want to waste my time <laughs> <Wow>. on it. <laughs> um, but you and I both know Glenn Close doesn't have a prayer. No. 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 I, I love her to death. But she's going to hit a certain point like Christopher Plummer, and they are finally just going to reward her with one because it's time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's coming, but it's not quite there yet. Um, And I, I feel so I feel so sad because Glenn Close is an American treasure. And sometimes <laughs> I think she's a better act, far better actress than Meryl Streep. But in, she in does most it. recent years, yeah, I would definitely agree with you. No, I, think. I would, I would, I would just say across the board, I think she is okay. a better actress. She just, she doesn't pick a lot of high-profile projects. I mm-hmm. feel like she is more closer to, oh, I'm going to pick the littler things where I can give a, a better performance and feel like I'm not. Uh, she gets to be more creative with it. Yeah, and it. It feels like in recent years, Meryl Streep has definitely become a sellout. Yeah, Meryl Streep has done a lot of broad stuff that I don't think is her best work. And I think she's getting away with it because she's Meryl Streep. And I think people expect a certain level of Meryl Streep. And, you know, Glenn Close comes in and gives like 140%. And it's just so under the radar because people aren't expecting that or looking more accurately looking for that from her. Is it bad and that I really want her to just kind of cameo in Cruella? <laughs> just like a small, like, walk-on, walk-off role really quick, just like they did in Mulan. Mm-hmm. Just kind of passing the torch to Emma, please. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cute. Um, um, but, yeah, I would lose Amanda, put Jody in there. What do you like in the uh, the screenplay categories here? Um, let's let's go with the uh, best original screenplay first. Uh, trial. 
trial. Sorry, See, I, I didn't mean to to jump over, but you and I both know s- no one has a prayer going up against Sorkin. Mm-hmm. I know, <laughs> but I noticed something just a little while before he came over, so I didn't have time to research it too much. But I was like, oh yeah, right. Why is that? Trial of the Chicago Seven uh, started off as a project at Universal. Universal bought the remake rights to a documentary on that trial and they were going to fix you know do a fictionalized version of that mm-hmm. how is that not best adapted screenplay then how is this best original screenplay i'm, I'm not I, this is a rhetorical question you know because i've spent half the day looking at oscar rules for a couple of other things i've written for the site and I'm I'm just was, not about the to film go was and, released by Universal. Uh, no, the Universal passed on it. At it went into turnaround, and somebody else picked it up. But those remake rights went with the project. the The question is whether or not those rights were picked up. No, they would have had to have been. They would order, have had. Yeah. Been. Okay. Uh, um, so so yeah so. I'm sure in the next couple of days, hopefully, we'll see we'll see some kind of clarification on that, and I'll write about it if I do. Um, it was under original at the Golden Globes, and mm-hmm. and I'm certain if uh, the WGA doesn't have a problem with it, then it's going to stay right where it is. Yeah. So it's, I'm just wondering what the uh, the rule loophole is that allowed it to be original and not best adapted. That's a good question. But. Putting Sorkin aside, is there anybody else in there you would like to see win? You know who you want me to say. <laughs> I know who you're thinking of. Well, I have an idea who you're thinking of. And um, to be honest, I don't know if that's what I really want. And, of course, we're talking about Emerald Fennel. Yeah. <laughs> for Promising Young Woman. I, I kind of do and I kind of don't. Okay. Um, do I think it was a good story and it was told very well? Yes. Not quite certain if I was feeling the screenplay, though. Okay. Okay, that's fair. The The film feels, it, it, it tells a lot, but it also feels a lot more simple mm-hmm. than... Um, it's a stylized revenge thriller, really. And... To be honest, I kind of want to say Judas. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, putting that up against, you know, in terms of what they're trying to do against something like Minari or Judas. Um, Judas and Trial of Chicago 7, obviously because of, you know, what we mentioned before about how they intersect. But also they're they're the similar type of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, historical moments that are being recreated um, for us. Minari and Sound of Metal are very small stories about non-exceptional people and the things that they go through in each of those. Promising Young Women feels like the culmination of the Me Too movement. Yeah. Promising Young Women is a th- it's theme it has a stronger uh, thematical heft to it because it's trying to do something and like I said it's a it's a stylized revenge so it's genre but I don't I don't want to say it's genre but classed up. Yeah. You know, cuz that sounds denigrating and i don't like that uh to do that but it's it feels like um you know it's a it feels like a satire um in a way that get out was a a satire of uh of race relations okay uh it uses it subverts genre 
and turns it on its head in order to get its uh, message across. So as okay. Get Out was a horror film, but wrapped in it is a satire on you know race and racism um, and class. Uh, feels like Promising Young Woman is a revenge thriller that speaks a lot to um, to feminism, the Me Too movement, and well, obviously, uh, rape. Yes. I think that's a fair assessment, correct? Yeah, no, absolutely on the nose. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. Um, so let's move on then to Best Adapted. Uh, we're kind of looking at uh, Borat's subsequent movie film because it's a sequel, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger, which I have not seen. It's a lot of good stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should say, too, that I have not seen The Father and I am really hesitant about watching it. I think as soon as it hits, I think it hits in like a week or two. Uh, that's that's one of the few I might actually spend the, the big chunks on VOD <laughs> to rent. Yeah. Um, if you if you do, let me know. I will I will come over and watch yeah. it with you. But I it, it's going to be a rough watch for me because, you know, I'm going through things with my father who also has Alzheimer's, and from what I've been reading, this is a movie that kind of puts you into the head of the, the person head of the, yeah. dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I don't know if I can handle that, I, but I'm going to give it a go. I I will preface this by saying the only film that I've seen so far in adapted screenplay is one night in Miami. I refuse to watch Borat subsequent movie film <laughs> until I actually watch the first Borat, which I started today on my lunch break, and I'm about 20 minutes in. Okay. Um, White White Tiger I had marked um, mm-hmm. on my calendar a couple weeks ago when it was released. Nomadland, I'm sorry. Everything I have seen, this movie is not jumping at me at all. Really? Yeah. It, I it's, ha- it's another one of those quiet unremarkable people stories yeah uh, i i've always had trouble with films um where it feels like one person's journey is kind of locked in a certain place in nature um survival stories like 127 hours or um in a, in a strange way, life life of Pi. Okay. Like I have trouble with those kind of movies because I mean, from an acting standpoint and from a writing standpoint, it's a work of genius. Because you're sitting there going, "What more can I do to make this interesting and entertaining?" And particularly for an actor, I, like I I try to wrap my head around it sometimes when I'm I'm just sitting so- staring at a wall and I'm just like, how. Do you go through so many emotions and you're the only person there for a, a very long stretch of time? Um, people it, stranded. It's, it's very weird for me. Okay. Well, she's not necessarily stranded, but she's- I know, but the whole know, idea kind of, of a, communing with nature and, and yeah, people along which a is long journey probably is- Probably also yeah. why you didn't want to watch that Robin Wright film with me recently, Land. Yeah. It, again, that also that seemed really pretty good. similar. It was, yeah. It was- there are long stretches with no dialogue and stuff like that. It's really good, though. It was, I would recommend it, but, you know. I don't mind long stretches without any dialogue. It's just the whole kind of journey thing that just kind of irks me. There's something about it. It kind of, like, twists okay. the knife. Okay. It's really weird. Hey, hey, 
because not you know, everything is for everybody. I know, but you know they're going to go on a uh, some sort of a, a a journey, whether it be emotional or physical, and at the end they're going to have some sort of self reflection, and it's just. It's the same thing. It feels like the same thing all the time. Yes, there'll be slight tweaks to it, but basically it, it runs a, a certain path. Um, so, I mean, I'll watch it because it's kind of a requirement at Film Before Mine. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hear the boss is really strict. Yeah, I know. He's a real prick. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> The Father, I cannot wait for that movie. I saw the trailer a few months back and immediately jumped out at me and I was just like, I need to see this. And if I could see it tomorrow, I would see it tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. But one night in Miami, there was something about it that really just, it, witty dialogue, a lot to say, a lot of good questions asked, and the ending, I was freaking tears by the end that that's that's the one you're pretty much <laughs> pulling for right now right for adapted screenplay well in in or, general well i can what? because it doesn't ha it do if you're looking at picture it's not there well outside of picture uh, oh the only other things it has is leslie odom jr mm -hmm. in um supporting actor and leslie odom for uh original song speak now I like to say I'm pulling for both of those. I'm not. I don't think he's going to win either one. Just like Cynthia Erivo got snubbed last year in Actress and in Song, mm -hmm. when she most definitely should have won Song. Okay. Most definitely. Okay. So if One Night in Miami has to win anything, you're going for Adapted Screenplay? I would go for Adapted. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Actor in a supporting role. It is not going to Leslie. Uh... It's not going to go to Sasha Baron Cohen either. It's going to go to Dang Okayula. Judas and the Black Messiah is Fred Hampton. I'm almost certain on that. Pretty much so. Yeah. Um, oh, one other thing about Best Supporting. Were you a little surprised that uh, there was no Chadwick Boseman nomination for Five Bloods? I didn't see the Five Bloods. Um, so I, I, I can't say one way or another. And uh, to be honest, his performance in Ma Rainey is, is really the only thing keeping that film together, in in my personal opinion. So if he was getting anything, I'm glad he got Best Actor instead okay. of Best Supporting. Yeah, there was some thought that going he might in get that, both. Yeah, that he would get both. Interestingly enough, I I didn't realize this. Because I couldn't think of too many times that there were posthumous nominations like this. But apparently, over time, since literally like the second or third year of the Oscars, there have been 79 posthumous uh, nominations, but only seven wins. I think the last posthumous win might have been Heath, wasn't Heath it? Heath Ledger, yeah. Yeah. I think, was... he, I think for me, he was my first posthumous win. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a weird uh, statistic that I was actually kind of surprised that it was that seventy nine number was that high. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me to guess, I would have said maybe fifteen. Well, speak I could think of like three. Well, speaking and of that was it, uh, so. best actor in leading role, since we have Chadwick Boseman up. Okay. Do you think there's anyone that stands a chance right now? No. 
No. No. I mean, I'm. I thought Riz Ahmad's uh, work in Sound of Metal was amazing. Uh, he really encompassed the fear that somebody could have. If you're a musician, music is your life, and you find your hearing going. Imagine how movies are for us. If and we, 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 we were getting ourselves. cataracts, and we were going <laughs> blind. So yeah, there was that, um, which was amazing. I feel like fear seems to be the leading factor in every leading actor performance from this year. Riz Ahmed, the, the fear of losing one's hearing. Chadwick mm-hmm. Boseman, the fear of uh, his own ambition, that he's never going to amount to anything. Okay. Anthony Hopkins, the fear of losing his memory and his mind. Mm-hmm. Gary Oldman, the fear of... There's, there's a part between being remembered and... Uh, Really, just kind of his work at that point, and Stephen Yun, um, fear of not making it in America. Yeah, that's that's a great observation. Um, I really like that too. You're you came in here saying you were all brain fried. <laughs> I from am work, brain farting, and you have come up with some really great observations today. So maybe you should come here over you know, more brain farty than <laughs> I don't know. I was just it was just something that you mentioned about fear and as mm-hmm. I was looking at it I'm just it like just hey yeah it just clicked. I can't wait to see the father. Um Gary Oldman is always good. Mm-hmm. Mank for me was not impressive. I liked Mank a lot. I thought the cinematography and the story did more than the actors did for this film. I will grant you that. Um, I think I, I, it's easy to write off Mank and its 10 nominations with, oh, it's Hollywood. Hollywood loves a Hollywood story. Hollywood loves a story about storytelling. But I don't think it's that easy to do. No, it's a well-told story. It's, yeah, it's, it's very well done. The craft on this thing is beautiful. And I wish that theaters hadn't been closed because looking at- I would at have loved to see it on a big screen. On a big screen. That black and white photography, I think the- would have popped. Would have really popped. I think like the blacks were getting crushed and stuff like that on uh, streaming. And it just didn't do what the cinematographer was doing justice. Mm-hmm. For actress in a leading role. Okay. Who do you think is going to win? Um, Boy, that's a toughie. Um, my gut instinct says Frances McDormand. She's an Academy favorite. She's been nominated a few times before. I think... I think she won for Fargo, if I remember correctly. She also won a couple years ago for Three Billboards. Three Billboards, that's right. Viola Davis is also an Academy darling, to be honest. It's not just because I was raving about it. I've seen three out of the five so far. I can tell you- you love Andrea Day's performance, right? I don't think there's anyone that stands a chance against her. Wow. Okay. Okay. No, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's the only nomination that the United States versus Billie Holiday received. That says something. And there's a reason why. Okay. (laughs) 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 All right. Uh, Yeah, that definitely is saying something. Uh, Which is funny because it's the same for Vanessa Kirby. It's the only nomination that Pieces of a Woman received as well. Mm -hmm. And we had been hearing raves about Pieces of a Woman as far back as I think it was, what, Sundance? Sundance? Yeah, Um, somewhere in there. About how Vanessa Kirby had two films coming out this year that were going to blow people away. This was going to be her year. It was um, it was definitely Pieces of a Woman, and I think the other one was called The World to 
come with her and Catherine Watterson, Casey Affleck. Um, and I had just, I had heard so much buzz about these films. And then all of a sudden, they both kind of disappeared under the radar as other films started coming out and eclipsing them, like Mank and uh, Nomad Land and One Night in Miami. One Night in Miami was another one. I think it was in that same article where they're like, these are the films that you want to pay attention to. Oh, I've got another snub. Oh, okay. Speaking of One Night in Miami, hmm. where's the director nom for Regina King? Um, <laughs> good question. Hey, I can't complain though about a woman director not getting nominated in Best Director when we this is the first time we've had two, two. women yeah. uh, nominated in that category. And if memory serves, prior to this year, we've only ever had seven women altogether nominated in that cat uh, nominated in that category, and that goes as far back as 1977. Yeah. So. Um, I was just I was just thinking whether or not I would drop win. Emerald Fennel and only one win, Catherine, Catherine Bigelow, Bigelow, Hurt Locker. Yeah. Okay, uh, so so looking at Best Director, you've got Thomas Vintberg for another round, which is unusual for a um, a foreign film for the director. Well, Although we're after last year, <laughs> after last year, mm, okay. I think anything goes yeah. at this point, which I'm I'm all cool with. Uh, you know. You just mentioned Emerald Fennel for a Promising Young Woman. Chloe Zhao, Nomadland. Fincher for Mank. And Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Minari. So who do you boot? I'm an Emerald Fennel fan, and you and I both know that as far back yes. as her performance on Victoria. <laughs> um, and, she, of course, she runs pretty much runs the ship now over at Killing Eve, my one of my favorite TV shows. And yet, I'm considering booting her. Ooh, interesting. Um, you know who I would boot if we were going to put Regina King in? You're saying you're probably going to say Thomas Vintberg. No, Fincher. 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 Fincher's a great director. He's you know a great craftsman. But and Mank is good. But if it's... we're looking at you know people who are really telling a story here, yeah, lose Fincher. Yeah, and. Uh, and I hate no, I, I, a feeling I that agree I'm with like kind now. of crapping on Mank, and I'm not. because I loved Mank. Yeah, obviously the Mank, yeah, we're here right outside of Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and the Mankiewicz family has a connection here. But, they they yeah. they lived here for a little while when uh, Herman was a small child, and Joseph L. was born here in Wilkes-Barre. And, of course, he went on to write a lot of things like, like oh. All about, about Eve. Eve. Guys Letter, and Dolls. Letter to Three Wives. Cleopatra. Yes. Um, if you watch it, uh, Sabrina. Mm -hmm. If you watch a Herman, or uh, excuse me, if you watch a Joseph L. Mankiewicz film, you almost are certainly going to get like a Wilkesbury or a Scranton type of reference in there in dialogue. Wait, somewhere. even in Cleopatra? Well, not in Cleopatra. <laughs> and you're stealing my joke about that. Well, but, because I knew you would make it if actually, I did it. I was not going to this time. <laughs> I was going to let a dog lie for this time. Oh, but shame. I know. But yeah, the the house is still here. And, you know, we we feel like we have an, a, a connection there. Yeah. Like every time we're watching All About Eve and Betty Davis mentions how she did this this show the one time in Wilkes-Barre. 
and we were like, we're like, yeah, yeah. Um, giving us love memory serves uh francis mcdormand's uh family is originally from somewhere in eastern pennsylvania i'm not exactly sure where but i'm trying to remember this now because i heard this years ago and i'm suddenly blanking and we'll talk about it later but (laughs) because we don't need to go down a pennsylvania rabbit hole there's a lot of pennsylvania rabbit holes if i'm not mistaken i think amanda seyfried might be one of them but um, allentown yeah she's allentown yeah I know that. Um, so, so let's uh, let's kind of, I guess, move towards wrapping this up a little bit with Best Picture. What are your thoughts on where the Academy is going to land, and what are your thoughts on where I'm going to land? Where you would prefer, where you would cast your vote? Considering I usually make my choices when we're watching based off of where I believe it's going to land. Period. Mm-hmm. If I had my say. I would either hand it to Judas and the Black Messiah or Promising Young Woman. But again, like I said, I go off of where it's actually going to land and not mm-hmm. where I'd like it to. It's going to go to Nomadland. Okay, my personal pick where I would be uh, casting my vote would be either for Judas and the Black Messiah or Sound of Metal, I think. Where the Academy's going to land is going to... My thoughts are Nomadland or Mank. I don't think Mank's going to get it. We'll find out on April 25th when the Oscars are handed out. Woo! <laughs> okay. Get re- get the champagne ready. Champagne, tuxes. I think we're all good. Ooh, I'm starting to think what I should wear. Should I wear that green chiffon dress? <laughs> Ooh. Maybe. Uh, but that's a conversation for off mic. So I think, <laughs> though, that about wraps us up for this week. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com. We are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there. Search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. Now we'll be back next week with a look at the long-awaited, at least by some folks, (laughs) Zack Snyder's Justice League. And we may even be joined by a special guest for that one. So stay tuned. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast.